Hello, it's Matt Tassaro, one of the OWASP podcast co-hosts, and I had the opportunity to interview Tanya Jenka for this podcast, and to be honest, I kind of wish it was a video recording because you would get to see the big smiles and vigorous nodding that happened during the recording. Tanya and I are, well, I would say in violent agreement about most things AppSec and it shows. Uh, there's a nice mix of general advice, war stories, and some good nuggets in this interview, and I hope you enjoy it. This is the OWASP podcast series. The OWASP podcast series is supported by the Open Web Application Security Project, home to over 240 community-driven security projects, including the OWASP Top 10, the Web Security Testing Guide, and the Security Knowledge Framework Projects. And with support from No Name Security, the complete proactive security platform. Hi, I am here for the OWASP podcast, and I have the great honor of having uh, my first guest for February and my first uh, podcast since 2009, it's been a while, is Tanya Janka, and, and I'm thrilled to have her. She's been an awesome community member in OWASP and just generally in AppSec and DevOps. Um, so I'd like to introduce Janka. Would you like to say hello and give a people a little bit of background who may not be super familiar with you? I don't know who that would be. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, I'm Tanya Janka, and I am an AppSec nerd at large on the internet. <laughs> I run my own company. We're called We Hack Purple, and basically I teach people how to create more secure software. I also run a big We Hack Purple community, which is just free and open for everyone, and I have my own podcast, which I'll probably try to trick Matt into being on at some point this year. <laughs> I would, I, to. I would love to. Yes. See, this is what you do, folks. You put them on the spot while they're recording a podcast with you, and then they have to say yes. This is my trick. I need to jot this down for future guests. I love it. <laughs> um, well, and I wrote, a, I wrote a book, too, and it's called Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. And so that's me in a nutshell, a person that's excited about AppSec. Well, I am familiar with your very purple book. Um, a nice, nice way to keep the theme going. How was that? Like, I've, I've always wanted to write a book and I haven't just for reasons. So I'm, I'm always curious to ask people who have actually made it through the, you know, publishing process, what that was like. Did you have some lessons learned? What would you like to share about that? Okay. So I loved writing the book. I would sit down and I'd write for hours at a time. And I, one of those people that really loves deep work. Do you know what I mean? Where you go into this flow state and everything's just coming out of you. And then I had to do edits. And I have to say, I did not enjoy, so that's a very polite way of saying how I felt about doing edits. And I had to do linguistic edits where I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, you feel a comma goes there. More likely they're just like, Tanya, why do you use an exclamation mark in every sentence? I'm like, because I'm really excited. So I learned a lot about semicolons and stuff like that and that was fine. But technical edits are so hard, Matt. Oh my gosh. It, I spent longer doing the technical edits and like rewriting and repossessing those parts than I took writing the whole book. But it was worth it because people told me it's really easy to understand. 
and that was a big goal of mine. So I'm learning disabled, I'm dyslexic. And what that means is, is I had a lot of trouble learning French as an adult. <laughs> and it means basically I try to, I tend to learn in a slightly different way than everyone else. And I get my learning style now because I had to learn about that to learn French. But it turns out most people have different ways that they learn better. And so I wanted to make this book really accessible. I wanted it to be easy to learn AppSec. And so there's stories, there's pictures, there's um, the Alice and Bob characters have things happen to them and they have actual, you know, they have health conditions, they have lives, they have families. There's a divorce at one point in the book. Yep, Bob's sister gets divorced and they forgot to turn off, you know, access to the ex, to the family pictures and disaster ensues. And it's not that it's a storybook, it is a textbook, but when you see what can happen to a real person, it's easier to relate to me just writing out the code. Like, here's the code and let me explain why you want this code and then let, let Bob's example show you why it's worth doing this code. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And certainly way better than just a definitional sort of description of things like a, a spec almost, right? Cross-site scripting occurs when a code is in blah, 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 like, uh, eh, who cares? But like, oh, I, I hacked into the website because there was cross-site scripting. That's something I could actually get behind and understand and internalize. And, and props to you for getting the, it seems simple to say, but getting an easy to consume thing on AppSec is a tough thing. I've done trainings, I've taught at university before and like making it work for your audience, particularly when they don't have a strong background, is hard, it's really hard. Yes, I wanted to make a book that almost anyone could read. And quite frankly, uh, my grandma read the first two chapters. I've had a lot of people read chapter nine because it's, it's good habits. So it talks about using a password manager and how that works turning on two-factor authentication. And then it has stuff that's more software developer related. But I'm like, this is stuff that could help anyone be better at security. And so I've had people tell me like, I'm completely non-technical and I was able to read almost the whole book because some chapters are more technical than others. And they're like, I know what an API is now, Tanya. What? <laughs> Yay, now that's awesome. <laughs> Besides your surprise on the, the technical editing, you said anything else that you would, you would, you didn't expect and you discovered as you became an author. Okay. So I, I, you know, you write a book cause you hope people will buy it and gain value from it. But I was really wonderfully, beautifully surprised that people started tweeting photos of them holding my book and it made me feel so amazing, every single one of them. And then someone did this thread, his name's Ray Redacted, and he was like, show me a picture of your pet with a book and I'll donate $5 to this charity. And so many people chose my book. And so I have, I saved all the photos cause they're so cute. It's like my book with a puppy and it's my book with a dog and it dog has in its mouth. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is the best ever. Yeah, and, and like it's gotta be it's, you, your baby got famous, right? Which is kind of your book, yes. right? I mean, that's that's I, I could see taking lots of joy from the 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 word getting spread. Yeah, and just and just people saying like it helped me. Like I read the book, and then I did a job interview, and I took information from the book and answered, and then I got the job, and I'm just like, oh my god, I'm so happy! Thank you for telling me that. You just made my whole day. 
So but, and, yeah. yeah, this was years and years ago when I taught a class at AM University. I had one of my students, I mean, it was so long ago, it was a class on XML. That tells you how long ago. That was XML was cool back then. But I taught a class on XML and I had a student uh, ping me on email two years or so after he had graduated and gone off. And he said, I wanted to thank you about how you taught the class because I learned so much more than my peers because I was very much on the fundamentals and not about sort of the, like, this is how it says it should work, learn this. And then the rest is just what vendors have messed up about it, right? And that I still remember that email to this day and that's, shoot, that's 18 plus years ago, probably. I can't remember, it's a long time ago, but like, it is so fulfilling to know that you've shared something and made somebody's life better. And it doesn't cost you, well, it costs you some time, I guess, but it, it, yeah. it doesn't really cost you that much. Yeah. And sometimes people will say to me, like, how do you have the motivation to do so many things? I'm like, I receive one of those messages. And then it's like, you're putting rocket fuel in my gas tank of motivation. It's just, it's amazing. 100%. 100%. Well, you, you said something a minute ago that I want to kind of circle back on. You said the, the, the magic words of API security and APIs are pretty hot these days. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I almost feel guilty. Um, like if I wanted to take, take fame that I didn't deserve, I'd take credit for the API craze. Because I remember years ago, I wrote a, a tweet that said, please vendors, if I can log into your web UI, I want an API because right, I'm tired of logging into the 15th web console to do something that I can write some code to do for me. And I guess me and a lot of other people feel that way because APIs are all over the place now. And you and I had some conversation before we started recording that was kind of interesting. And I'd like to kind of circle back on that if you don't mind. Absolutely. Okay, so I went, like I was a web developer and then I switched over to security and then I discovered how insecure so many APIs were. And I started the DevSlot project with my friend, Nikki Becker. And that's an OWASP project, the OWASP DevSlot project, which you should all check out because it's super amazing and awesome. And all the people that are part of it are wonderful and they're just awesome. And so she had created this app called Pixie with that had some APIs and Pixie's horribly insecure. She just, she does not believe in herself at all and her APIs are wicked and secure. And so Nikki and I built this workshop um, where we're like, we're gonna talk dirty to your APIs. We didn't call it that, but that like, whatever way you're supposed to talk to it, cool. I'm gonna talk to it in every other way that you have allowed us. And I discovered there's just, oh my gosh, there are so many ways that a developer could mess that up. And so then I was a pen tester and I was trying to pen test APIs and I'd get a DAS tool out and I'd aim it at the API and it would be like, oh, it looks good to me. I'm like, no, trust me, this API is no good. And so I discovered over time, and this is what Matt and I were talking about, you know, is a lot of the reason why these automated tools don't work correctly is because your API schema, so the definition file that you create, so the Swagger file, the open API file is not done. So you're like, oh, my API works, so that's cool. And I'm like, yeah, but for instance, you know, you didn't, so let's say there's a username and you make this username variable and it, and it goes and it asks for it and then it, it brings it back and then it looks up that user. Cool, but did you set it as a string? Okay, great. What characters are allowed in that string? Did you just say anything? Because as a malicious actor, I'm going to put anything. Oh, is there no maximum size or minimum size? Well then, oh, is that an integer? Because I'm going to make it minus a zillion, 
right? Or it's characters. I'm going to put 50,000 A's. The letter A 50,000 times into this. Will your API accept it? Can I crash your API? Yes. I'm going to send it a zillion things. Oh, you have the delete function, but you don't actually use it. I'm going to use it because you didn't disable it because I'm a jerk. I, I say that when I'm a pen tester, I'm jerk Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the hat you're supposed to be wearing. Right? And so like when I discovered this, it's like, oh, so if you could just like lint the API so that just to clarify for the audience, a linter is sort of like the grammar police for your code. It's sort of like a spell checker. It's like, hey, there's a semicolon that should be here. Or you didn't define this. You forgot to put a maximum and a minimum. You didn't do this and that. And depending upon the linter, it'll give you more or less information. But if you run a linter and you do all the warnings and the errors and you fix all of them, then you can point something that is on the market at it and it might actually get you some good results. And I'm not saying every DAS tool will do a good job, but lots of them will, but none of them will. If you have not, like your API definition is just kind of like blase. Matt, I had a client this week that told me, oh, well, we need an API tool that will make sure that all of our APIs are perfectly secure, but the devs don't really have time to ever update those definitions. So if you could just, you know, and like, also we don't like to speak to our devs because we don't want to interrupt them. And I said like, who are you? And what kind of magic do you think I am capable of? You don't want to speak to them and also they don't want to do their job? I don't know. I, I interacted with a client one time who had technical writers writing the specs and the developers oh. doing the code and the divergence between what the tech writers thought reality was and what the code reality was, was huge. So bad that when I was testing this thing, I finally had to get their client and put a proxy upstream of it to capture traffic to see how the heck to talk to it. Because if I read the dots, it steered me wrong. Yes. When, when, Open, when Open API came out and Swagger files came out, I was like, this is glorious because I can see with my eyes what it is and what works. For the first time, it's like, I don't have to like shift through code. I can send this to a non-technical person and they can kind of understand it, right? Cause you can't send a JSON file or whatever to some random person, unless they're a coder, they're going to be like, oh, your email's broken. <laughs> Why are there right? all these weird braces in your email? Yes, but you could show them a swagger file and be like, see, see like it, it gets the username, right? It's gonna go and get it. Oh, it's gonna delete the photo. And they're like, oh, it makes sense. It's like the first time that I felt that, I felt they did a great job um, in, in making it more visually appealing and understandable immediately. And then you can see stuff that's missing once you have enough experience. You're like, oh, oh I see, what? there's a bunch of stuff here. Yeah, that must've been a lesson they learned from the Wisdel uh, in the soap world back in the dark ages, because. Those were the same functionally kind of things, but they were awful to work with and they didn't render worth a darn. And the Swagger, I mean, if you put a Swagger spec file in the Swagger.io, you know, online editor thing or wherever you do it, like there's tools galore that do that now, they look beautiful. They're very usable. There's coloring. It's, you know, uh, expand and contract things and all that. It's, it's, it is a, a much better place. A giant step up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whenever people now are like, hey, can you? I'm like, no, I'm not working with Wistels anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just at that place in my career where I feel like I can just say no to that work. 
<laughs> yeah, I did a lot of soap work in the day and it was ugly. Heck, I did XML RPC, which was even before soap, and that was pretty ugly. And then waddles, I remember waddles were supposed to be a thing and those died hard. Um, waddles were supposed to be another thing like OpenAPI, right? Another specification for REST, but they, they got zero traction. Um, I wonder I if it God was the name, Waddle. <laughs> waddle. <laughs> I think of ducks. Kind of it, yeah, well, with duck forth. typing, right? It makes sense. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bad programmer joke. Sorry. Speaking of programs, let's let's shift gears a little bit. So you wrote a book on AppSec programs. So I imagine you have some advice for people who might be starting or wanting to start, or like a lot of people, they're voluntold, hey, by the way, we realized we need AppSec, and so you're the AppSec person. Can you give them some sort of things to do? What are the first end things to do? What are the some pitfalls? How can you avoid busting your knuckles, hopefully? Okay, so the first thing that I usually do with an AppSec program is I try to do inventory to see how many apps I'm dealing with. And it's always more than they told me. There's always a whole bunch of apps that apparently no one knew about, but they still definitely should be taken care of. And then usually like right away, I try to just do a quick DAST, like dynamic application security testing scan. So I can get just a picture, like, is this a giant dumpster fire of an app? Or is this app like, it's pretty good. Like I feel okay with it being on the internet. I'm not gonna cry. And like get kind of like a general picture of like what I'm looking at because unlike SAS or some other tools, it's just, it's, it's pretty fast. I, I used to always call that the, the the smell test, right? Like, yes. you like the, there's that thing in the in the in the uh, Tupperware in the fridge, and you're not quite sure how old it is. So, like, woo, like okay, that needs to go, or that's fine, and I might have it for lunch, right? And yeah, yeah. But, and inventories, it, it kills me. I've I've worked at so many different places in AppSec shops, and I've only had one one out of very very many that I've interacted with that actually had a sane, solid inventory, and it's so useful. I have only got to work at places where I had to build that. Yeah. I've never got to like go to a place and some other human, like a wonderful, wonderful human made that for me. Yeah. Well, I felt I special did. when I found that inventory. Oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, wait, you have what? Wait, well, but it's not complete. Nope. Like all, what? huh? <laughs> I mean, I was speechless. I was totally speechless. It was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. That was that so far ahead. Really, that like, sounds you like can now make weird. rational decisions about like, where do I focus my limited time on this really super yeah. risky one or not? Yes. And then, then I also want to know, so what is our risk tolerance here? Because, so I always use WeHack Purple as an example and it's like, okay, so what, what risks do we have? Okay. So people might try to steal our intellectual property and like, that's, that's a risk, right? But like what other risks? I'm like, I don't want people ever getting the personal data of our customers or of our employees, but I actually like, outsourced most of that risk. I did a risk transference. So it's like, let's just run all the credit cards through Stripe. So we never touch them ever. Cause then we can't lose them if we never had them. Right. And so yep. it's like, so what risks do we have? And you know what? They're super low. And so then we spend money on security accordingly versus like sometimes Matt, I'll be dealing with companies where it's like, do you understand that there's catastrophic risk involved here? If you like lose that intellectual property or you have the health records of millions of people and like the damage that that could cause. And so explain and find out just how tight we need to be with things and then plan from there. So for instance, lots of companies are like, I want to do DevSecOps. And I'm like, 
cool, that's awesome. And they're like, but we have a really, 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 really high amount of security we need. So can you do like a perfect SAS scan of the entire thing, but can you somehow make that happen in 10 minutes and there'll be no false positives? And I'm like, no, because I'm not a liar. Um, but what I can do is I can get you a SAS tool that will find you all the scary things and have it be accurate. It's going to miss lots of lows or mediums, and it, but it'll be certain about those things. And it'll almost never give you a false positive. And it will run in 10 minutes or 15 maybe, depending upon how much changes you've made. And then once every month, we do an in-depth manual SAS evaluation. And they're like, hmm, okay, we're listening. Because, like, I have seen vendors, Matt, you know vendors, and some of them will tell you the truth, and some of them want to sell us magic beans. And <laughs> when you're a consultant, if you can only sell magic beans for a very short period of time before you are their ex-consultant. Um, yeah, so I would rather be, like, a bit more uh, practical. And so, yeah, I tr figure out what their security level risk can be, and then make a plan with them accordingly. And also like, what does your SDLC look like? Are you doing waterfall? And if you are, that's okay. I'm not gonna make fun of you very much, but <laughs> then I have a different model for you than if you're using pipelines to release or if you're doing agile sprints and you're like, we wanna release every three weeks, cool. I wanna give you feedback more often than that, but the final say will be every three weeks. And so you'll have three up to three weeks to fix the things that we've found. So I try to work with the processes that they have as best I can. And I know getting the answer of it depends kind of sucks, but I feel like if I didn't say that, then I would again be a fibber. Well, in, in I mean, I'm sorry if you've been in this field for any amount of time, every place I've ever worked at or did consulting with or talked to or had a just a, you know, a shop talk at a conference, whatever, the way that they do things like, oh, we push to dev. Well, what does that mean for you? Like, I know it's easy to say I push to dev, but what is that? Is that like a weekend of people gnashing their teeth and like swearing a lot? Or is it just like literally run a script and like magic and it's done? Or you check in Git and like all of it just happens, right? Who knows? Like that's all pushing to dev, right? So too many snowflakes to be able to be concrete on those things. And I think you're, you're, I really would double down on your matching the process, right? Because I worked at a place that was very waterfall. I wasn't really, I didn't find that to be too sexy, granted. But you know what? I made friends with the QE people who had a week-long QE week. And that's when all the security testing happened because it kind of fit that org. I feel security people should be really close friends with the quality assurance people or the other testers because there's a lot of chance for, I'm going to use a dirty management word, synergy <laughs> like there. if you have these really <laughs> awesome tech savvy qa people that are um, recording automated gui testing into a har file you can take that har file and you can use it for so much good from a security perspective like you can shove that into like a dast tool and then it'll do like it's like a, a scalpel for the DAST tool. It's like, I will only test these exact parts and suddenly your DAST scan's not 45 minutes, it's like seven minutes because it knows exactly where to go and every single thing that you want. And if you have like this awesome QA team that is keeping those up to date and, and doing you wanna bring donuts to meetings with them, assuming you're allowed to be in the same space as other humans. Um. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or virtual donuts. Virtual donuts, yes. 
<laughs> well, and I, I, I did a similar thing where there was a, a QA team that did a lot of regression testing with, you know, valid, what I would call valid data, right? If I put in a phone number for Johnny, do I get Johnny's phone number back? Yes, I do. Great. Right. And I said, hey, you guys. And I found out that whatever, I don't even remember what Tula was anymore, but they just basically used Excel spreadsheets, right, to, to, to feed the data into this tool. So I gave them a spreadsheet of a whole bunch of, oh, kind of fussing data and said, you know what? Uh, you don't need to know anything about this. I don't really care. Just tell me if it errors, right? If it goes through and it 200s all the time and there isn't any kind of like, like you know, the UI doesn't blow up, right? We'll call it good. Lightweight fuzzing, but hey, it's free, right? And they were like, sure. What, what's, what's more, one more click on an Excel and load it into the tool thing? No problem. And we got fuzzing for almost nothing, right? Because I was friendly and happy with the QA people. Why not be? Mm -hmm. Yep, QA people are our friends. The one interesting thing I've found with QA people that's an interesting wrinkle is that the type of testing that QA tools provide is what I would call uh, happy path testing or good testing, right? They yeah, will send legitimate tests. responses to APIs, let's say, um, which is great. And you can do a lot of what I would call data level testing, right? I can put weird data in there and see how the API takes it. But what gets really fun is what I like to call structural testing, right? Like what happens if I give you 17 uh, elements that you only expect one of, or the best one I ever did was 32 bag of space between two elements, which was technically valid, just a really stupid file or a really stupid re uh, request. And it knocked off that service, right? Suddenly the service went away and oops, <laughs> right? So unfortunately QA tools won't give you those weird structural tests where you just do stupid, crazy things that are possible, but not likely in a, in a normal right, non-pen testy environment. But I, man, can you have fun and weird reactions? Like one of my favorite things to do with APIs was to ask, like mm -hmm. uh, the, the uh, I would send them JSON, but ask for XML back. Ooh. Like nobody would do that. But we yeah. supported it in OpenStack and it caused all kinds of weirdness because there was a code path that nobody tested. Who Because they'd either said it JSON and expect JSON back or XML and expect XML back. But now I'm like, I'm gonna give you JSON, but you know what? I want XML back because I'm crazy. And <laughs> <laughs> crazy happened. Oh yeah. Am I allowed to mention like a, a free tool sure. that's coming out? Okay, so I have this friend named Bar Hofesh and he's obsessed with the crystal language. He loves the crystal language. He's super obsessed with it. And so he's actually like this week or last week, I can't remember, released a set of unit tests that are all security unit tests, like security regression testing, but just for crystal. And I'm like, are you kidding? That's so cool. That's, and he's like, yeah. because like, he made it for himself sort of thing. And he's like, do you think anyone will like it? I'm like, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm like pretty excited about that. I'm like, can you do that for like other stuff? And he's like, oh no, go look. And I'm like, that would be awesome. Because I tell people, you know, you can make a copy of your own unit tests and then you can add payloads into it and like test that your app fails gracefully, right? Mm -hmm. Like no crashing, like you were saying, Matt. So I'm a big fan of taking the OWASP XSS filter evasion cheat sheet and taking every single thing in it and adding it to unit tests. And then it's like, does it crash? And, and does it do a pop-up? And right. if, if it, right? <laughs> and, and then you suddenly have like regression testing for cross-site scripting. I'm just like, this is, but it only works 
if you already have a team that's making awesome unit tests that you can copy, right? And then also someone has to kind of keep them up to date and all of this. So I'm looking forward to uh, playing with like the crystal thing to see if it works. Like I'm not a crystal programmer, but I'm just like that I feel has potential for other- well, even, even if you're not a, a crystal programmer, right? Having an exemplar of this is how I thought about how to do security testings, but in a unit testing fashion is, yeah. is that in and of itself is useful, right? Because I can use that and go, I don't think in Crystal, I think, and I'm, I, I like writing Go, like I think in Go, but here's how I do that same thing. Oh, I see, he's sending this kind of thing in this way. Oh, I'll just do the same in this slightly different syntaxy version. Yes, no exactly. Like having a template is so helpful. And, and I'm like, so are you gonna charge money? And he's like, no, it's gonna be free. And I'm like, because yes. <laughs> so, so many security tests are, are like security tools are, they're just so expensive and then software developers like I don't know about you but I was a dev a long time and my budget was pretty small <laughs> yeah I don't think that I could like when I see the price on a lot of security tools and I'm not saying that security vendors are doing it wrong that's not what I'm saying but I just like did not have budget for it and so then it's like, what are my options? Um, and well, I Wendy see and a Nathan lot of... had that wonderful, wonderful expression of the security poverty line, right? Because there are certain businesses that are never going to be able to write a six-figure check for that, you know, big corpse magic security scanner thing, right? Yes. So what do you do, <laughs> right? Well, like the examples you've given are great ways to get that. And I also always loved flying under the budget radar, right? That's why I've always loved open source tools. Like... Well, like, do I need budget approval to spend zero dollars? Oh, I don't. Sweet. Let's go launch Zap and point it at our thing. Right? Yeah. Why not? So I, I do secure coding training. That's one of the things we do at We Hack Purple. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of the time the security team hires me to go train the devs. But around maybe 25% of the time, the dev team hires me. And they'll tell me, yeah, the security team won't help us. So we put all of our training budgets together for the year to hire you because when we ask them security questions, they won't give us the answer. And a lot of them tell me the security team won't let them have the security tools. And they're like, we want to make better code. And so I have like this whole list of freebie stuff that they can do without breaking the licensing agreement, which I won't say because then those because you know how they'll be like, you get this much of this free and that much of that free. And so I'm like, here's what you're going to do. So you're going to run this on Mondays. You're going to run that on Tuesday. And I like come up with this free plan for them so they can get like the most possible out of it. And I feel like there's a lot of security teams out there that are the threat to AppSec and don't realize it. You know, like a dev's like, hey, you know, we're going to do this. Can I have some help? And they're like, here's a link to NIST. Like that, that, that didn't help. You just basically were like, I don't have time to help you go to hell. That's like, yeah. that's the message received. Right. And so, yeah, when a dev team hires me, I'm like, okay, so their, their security poverty line is very low. And so I need to help them the most ways I can. Like, and there are glorious tools that you can buy for six figures. And if they have six figures, I can give them better options, but it's like, okay, so you have devs, which means you know how to do this. And you could probably put a thing that turns this off and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I've, I, I empathize so much with the dev teams that I end up getting hired directly for because they don't have an AppSec team that they can trust. Yeah, that's, that's really, 
Yeah, that's really sad. I mean, I remember a, a circumstance where I wrote a whole bunch of CICD automation with Docker's and we ran it all up in AWS and ECS and blah, 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 right? And it was all automated and we could crawl the repos and pull out stuff and do tests and blah, 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 right? But one of my design goals when I made that system was whatever I made, I want to have Docker's that I can give to the devs and I can say, you write Python for Big Corp. These are the seven tools that when you check in, we're going to do a, a, you know, a, a hook and run those against them. If you want to know and run this local, here you go. Right, because now you can know you're going to pass the gauntlet because you ran them before you did the get get push. Mm -hmm. We're done. Yeah, right? yeah. I I am such a huge fan of giving the developers access to everything, training them how to use it. There's a dev shop where I did like a three month stint last year, and they said, you know, we only release every two to four weeks. I don't want to have to wait until the pipeline gets run to know if I did something wrong. I would like to be able to tell for myself, like, am I allowed access? I'm like, absolutely. So I made it so every time they check something in to the main branch, they would get an email like maybe 20 minutes later with all the scan results. And then they're like, okay, so what if I'm not ready to check into main because I'm working on a feature and the feature's not ready, but I want to make sure I haven't made any grave errors. So then I'm like, okay, you can use the CLI thing and then you can say, check this branch for me. And things started passing a lot. Things started getting better a lot. I'm like looking, I'm like, oh, the numbers of red things are going down. This is amazing. And the devs are like, the pipeline would happen. They're like, hells yeah, I passed because they got <laughs> to have access before, right? And so, it makes them more confident. It's cheaper to fix things earlier, right? Like having to go oh, back yeah. to the drawing board, that stinks. And then we still have the ability to catch if they've missed something somehow, because we're still running a test in the pipeline. And that was pretty good. And we were putting all of our results into Defect Dojo. Nice. Way to go. <laughs> Yeah, so then we could slightly, see trends. Yeah, slightly biased on, on that. But yes, I would highly recommend Defect Dojo to take in all your vulnerabilities and normalize them. It is a, it is a beautiful thing. And, and one of the things you, you, you said that caught my mind was, how can you expect developers to jump, to go over your security hurdle when you haven't taught them how to jump, right? Like, yes. I, it just, it's mind boggling. Like, put yourselves in their shoes. I'm going to grade you and we're going to see how you did at this dinner but I'm not gonna tell you what proper etiquette is, go. Yeah, yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> Once I worked somewhere and um, I, was, I was the entire AppSec program, but they had 15 risk analysts. And yeah, I know, I know. And, and so one of the dev teams wrote one of the risk analysts and was like, hey, could you tell us all the things you're gonna check at the end so I can try to make sure I have them ready for you and like I can do them now. And the risk analyst wrote back and said, well, that would be cheating. And then I won't know for real. And like, gosh, obviously that would ruin the whole process. And so then I had to sit them down and explain the idea of shifting security left and how it's not cheating and how we actually want them to pass. Like, I don't know how to explain it to you, but like, could you imagine knowing the security person's hoping you fail? I just like, no. And like when That's I was a like pen tester, I like I would I would tell them while I was pen testing, like, hey, I found this thing. Like, do you want to try to fix it up and stuff? And then like my final report would just have mediums and the devs had fixed all the highs. 
<laughs> and they had patched their server that I scanned because I came two months early and did a preliminary scan with them and was like, yo, these are things that are missing. Can you fix them before I come back and do the real test? And then the devs felt good. It actually went out and it was way more secure in the end. And I remember some of the people were like, yeah, but then your pen test result looks like really crappy. I'm like, well, guess what? They hired me again. So clearly yeah. they like it. Yeah, because you're not going to get pushback. I mean, you're not pushing anybody under the bus by showing up at the nth hour with a, a, a big sheet of badness. I mean, yeah, like one of the better groups at Rackspace, one of the one of my coworkers was testing this one particular product, found an issue, pinged them on IRC because that's what we did at Rack. Hey, I found this thing. They're like, do you have an example request and response? Yeah, here you go. Copy, paste it, whatever. Oh, off you go. And keeps testing. And yeah. I don't know, an hour later, there was a ding on IRC and he, hey, what's up? It's patched and in production. Like, huh? Like, we hadn't even written the report. So we wrote the report that said there was a high, but before we even got it in your hands, they fixed it. What a win, like the yes. best report ever. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, you're like, these guys are awesome. I'm just here to tell you that your dev team's amazing, FYI. Yeah, and loved like, that product team, loved that product team. Oh yeah. Well, I mean like, that's awesome. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Well, and, and here, I'm going to do a nice segue here. Watch this. Here it comes. Speaking of amazing, <laughs> you've done an amazing lot of work on diversity inclusion, right? Now oh. I, I figured it would be wrong to not cover that with you since we're talking. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think I need to say more than that. I think you can run with it from there. <laughs> Well, Matt and I were talking about this before we started recording, and he was joking that I was the fitted t-shirt monster, or no, dragon, dragon, dragon. because, because I, whenever I go to a conference and they don't have any swag that fits women's bodies, I give them crap because quite frankly, you're saying women and those who like to have fitted clothing don't matter. And quite frankly, sometimes dudes like fitted clothing and sometimes women like non-fitted clothing. And if you're gonna be making 500 t-shirts, you can't make 50 that are fitted for those of us who are shaped like hourglasses. And I have had this argument over and over again, Matt, and sometimes they're like, it costs more. I'm like, no, actually it doesn't cost more. Now it used to, but now it doesn't. So there's really like very few excuses and they'll be like, well, there's not that very, very many women. I'm like, cool, then order less shirts that are fitted, right? If you're like, you know, only 10 to 15% of the audience is, is female, cool. Order 10 to 15% of fitted shirts. Well, it's right? not like and you show up with, with 500 smalls. No, <laughs> right? exactly. You're already ordering a, a range of sizes, like just add a little to the mix and add some fitted in there too, right? Exactly. And um, I, I was keynoting a conference and they sent me this huge swag package with three shirts that were all men's shirts. And then that same week, so there was a company that was trying to recruit me to do developer relations for them. And like, we're in that kind of like flirtation stage of where like, I'm considering the possibility of maybe. And so they sent me this big swag package to try to persuade me. And it was all men's clothing. And before they sent it, I had said, I don't wear men's clothing. It's cool that some women do. I don't. I want fitted clothing that is made for women. I'm shaped like an hourglass and I will look like a weird box in dude clothing and I just won't wear it. And they sent me all men's, men's hoodie, men's t-shirt, and all of it was also all in black, 
right? And they're like, yeah, we're totally into diversity and inclusion. And I'm like, no, you're, you're, you say those words, but your actions say, I don't give a about women. And, and I was like, do you want me to show up to work in another gen? Like, so Matt, what we were talking about before is, so all of you people who are listening right now, if you're not a woman, you're a man, or you're a non-binary person, imagine if you were asked to show up to work and they're going to film you all the time. And they're like, we want you to wear women's clothing though, everywhere you go. And if you complain, we're going to tell you you're overreacting. It's unisex, they tell you. And then they expect you to wear women's clothing all the time. It does not fit. It's all baggy at the top. It's too tight around your belly. And then it flares out at your ass for some reason and you don't understand why. <laughs> and then imagine that is what women face every time we go to a place where they're like, oh, it's unisex. I'm like, oh, it's men's. And they'll be like, I no, it's unisex. And I'm like, I am not unisex. I am a woman, please. I I think we can coin a term here. It's Model okay. T diversity, right? You can have a Model T in any color you want as long as it's black. Yes. Yes, 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 Matt. Exactly. And so to all of you out there organizing events, if you want to give away swag and the swag that you choose is t-shirts, remember that there's that we are not all unisex. In fact, it turns out very few humans are actually unisex. Um, and remember, there's bigger people, there's smaller people, there's shorter people, there are curvy people, there are not curvy people, and all of us count and matter. And so if you want, if you really do care about diversity and inclusion, this is one thing that you could do to actually show it. And so I'm going to just get off my soapbox for a bit. Thank you for letting me be the fitted t-shirt dragon. No, no problem. Well, you remind me of an, of a classic economics paper called, it was, it was about broken windows. I don't, broken windows and lemons. I can't remember the exact the broken window theory. Yeah. Broken window theory. Yeah. Because it's just a sign and it, it may not mean like you can go to a, a, a part of town that has broken windows and it could be perfectly safe. You can also go to a town that has broken windows. That's not perfectly safe. Right, but how do you feel about that town with the broken windows? Yeah, don't feel safe. This is a rundown, spooky part of town. I want out. And the fact that there are broken windows means it is more likely that people feel it is okay to break windows and it is okay to commit more crimes. And they did this huge study where they went and repaired every single thing. They painted all the graffiti they did and crime took a nosedive. And every time like a thing got broken, they freaked out and did the full thing. I don't know if you've ever reported like a stolen bicycle and the police are like, oh, it could be anywhere. Oh, you're screwed. And they do nothing because they're like, oh, we probably won't find them. I'm like, yeah, with that attitude, you're certainly not going to. <laughs> I can guarantee <laughs> right? you won't and if you don't try. Yeah. Yeah. So they started taking it seriously, even though it was the poor area of town. And within a year, like crime had drastically reduced. And so yeah, the broken window theory, it's the same thing. So, and, and actually Matt, you, the way you point that out, it's really good. So if, if I go and I'm like, Hey, are there any women's t-shirts or fitted t-shirts? And they're like, Oh no, we just have unisex. I'm like, Oh, okay. That might be a place where then I hear a sexist comment and no one says anything. Right. And then like more not so friendly or inclusive or freaking professional comments can come out because that one comment went it's like oh it's on while we're at it let's start being racist or other things that are crappy that people should not be doing because they think it's okay because they saw all the other broken windows 
And yeah, that's a really, I like the way you explain that, Matt. Well, I, yeah, economics background, I, I got to confess. Um, but <laughs> it's just, it's amazing how people miss some of the incentives and the subtle messages and the feedback loops. I mean, that's a DevOps thing, right? Feedback loops. And that's a feedback loop. I'm sorry. It is. It's, yes. it's not direct and it's maybe not, well, it's blatant to you because you'll notice, but mm -hmm. they may not think it as being a, a means of providing feedback, but you really are. I mean, you just really are. At a conference who I will not name, but one Matt and I both like, they, they only had unisex and I was complaining and they actually said to me, well, you're overreacting. And I was like, oh, would you like to see an overreaction? And so I <laughs> tweeted and I tweeted women, when you go to a conference and it, they only have unisex t-shirts, how does that make you feel? And well, then every couple hours I would forward the tweet to them. I'm like, oh, have you checked it? There's 400 comments. And they're like, yes, Tanya, we get it. I'm like, do you still feel I'm overreacting? <laughs> and they're like, we get it. And they did not have ladies t-shirts the next time I went to that conference. And I told them again, my feelings, but I didn't feel the need to tweet about it, but maybe, you know, we'll see. Hopefully they will, they will learn. Like there's, there's always room for improvement. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll admit something on a public podcast that maybe I shouldn't, but I twice got kicked out of A&M for bad scholastica achievement or lack of scholastic achievement. And then I taught there. So you can always <laughs> redeem yourself, right? Yes. I just wasn't in the right headspace when I, I honestly, I got a motorcycle. It was way more fun to ride my motorcycle than go to class. Um, but I stopped that and I, I put my head on straight and I got through and I ended up teaching at A&M. So yeah, oh yeah you, can, you can always redeem yourself. There's always a chance. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. I like that a lot, Matt. Well, th this has been super fantastic. Oh my goodness, I could keep going for another hour um, easily, I but I probably ought to cut it, cut it now if nothing else. Um, any parting words, anything you'd like to say to our, our audience before we call it a day? I would like to invite everyone to join the We Hack Purple community. It is free and we have free events. We have a code of conduct. Only nice people are allowed in. No one is allowed to be mean to you and we will throw them out unceremoniously if they're mean. We have content you can publish your own blog like you can start your own channel we're very open and so if you want to meet other people interested in appsec it's completely free and when you join you can actually sign up for like free weekly lessons where we send you emails with like a little tidbit every single week so that you can learn appsec right from the start and there's no upsell it's just free it is our contribution to the community and so i hope to see some of you there that's beautiful. It sounds like a, uh, a uh, webified version of the hall track where, right, where you learn a lot of stuff at the conference, talking to other people like, hey, do you guys have this? Oh, yeah, we have that too. Oh, what did you do? I did this. Oh, that is cool. I never thought to do that. Right. Those conversations are very valuable. Yeah, we have a lot of those. A lot of like, I just bought this tool. Can anyone give me tips? Or like, we're trying to decide between these three tools. Can you tell me which one you like the best? Or I'm trying to get buy-in on this. Does anyone have any ideas? Like they keep saying that and I just am at a loss. And then everyone just comes in and tries to help them. It's like, it's pretty nice. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you again. It has been an absolute joy. I could talk for a long, long, long time with you, but we'll just have to do that some other time later. And thank you for taking the time out of your, your busy schedule to, to chat with me a bit. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me, Matt.
I'd like to thank No Name Security, the complete proactive security platform, for making it possible for me to record this episode. If you need some API security, I'd suggest you give them a look. The OWASP podcast series is supported by the Open Web Application Security Project. 